0: Listen
1: Those are haunting lyrics, sang by Errol Zendik, the wife of Wolf Zendik. Some of you may not know the history that surrounds these two and the group of followers that they led. What has been said to be a twisted sex cult was allegedly an escape from the proclaimed death culture that the Zendiks feared gravely. The Zendik Farms Arts Cooperative began to take shape during the late 60s in Southern California led by Wolf, philosopher, musician, poet, and self-described undiscovered Beat. They would continue to move what they called survival stations across various rural locations in the U.S. With each move, a farm was raised that the group managed to maintain financially by selling their magazines in larger metro areas. Magazines that warned readers of the impending doom they faced by continuing to abide by societal norms. All the while, offering salvation on their farm, where one could have an alternative lifestyle, live in harmony with nature, and adhere to the philosophies of Wolf. Some would argue Wolf as a true pioneer of counterculture. Others write him off as a delusional pothead. But no one can deny the fact that Wolf and Arrow persuaded followers to relinquish control of their personal lives Specifically, sexual relations. At Zendik, relationships were mediated by appointed administrators who were aware of all romantic encounters. Although privacy was not abundant, a member was still free to choose who they pursued. But ultimately, Wolf seemed to intervene when it was to his benefit. With rumors of Wolf exploiting females on the farm, you can't help but wonder what life was truly like at Zendik. Through scavenging the depths of internet resources, I've discovered varying depictions of this community. Was this truly a utopian paradise? Or was it nothing more than elaborate illusions concealing mental and sexual abuse behind the gates
0: of the Zendik Farms survival station? So Wolf was born
1: in 1920 in El Paso, Texas. Errol was born in 1930 in New York City. Both were passionate artists. Um, Wolf's father was a printer, golden gloves boxer, and opera singer. His mother crippled by polio and in a wheelchair in her later years. She ran a bookmaking operation in South Los Angeles. Wolf himself eventually started working as a, a bookie as well, as well as a hot rod builder, racer. Big plane pilot, jazz drummer, and nightclub owner by the time he reached 30. So, this guy was like successful by numerous accounts. His art wasn't extremely successful, though, from what I can gauge. Like, his music
0: wasn't like really catching on. Like, people probably listened to it because they knew his name, but not because like they were in that lane or like that genre of music. Right. Right, but like
1: I think, like by all accounts, he was like working and making money and being a productive member of society. But
0: just weirdly successful,
1: yeah, in a lot of strange areas. He was heavily influenced by Henry Miller, an author who focused a lot on sex in his work. Uh, the Beat Generation, and he took to writing after abandoning his mainstream lifestyle in Los Angeles. So he was kind of living this fast lane lifestyle, nightclub owner fucking partying and shit like that. And then he kind of just abandoned all of that and really, really started to write. He found solace in writing for whatever reason mm. he was suffering mentally. Um, in 1957, Zendik followed a French ballerina and moved to Paris. It was there Woof met various artists and writers such as Allen Ginsberg, who I've looked into a little bit. Something going on with that guy too. What was his name again? Allen Alan Ginsberg, he was an author. He was, I guess, pretty well known. So they're in Paris. Gregory Corso and Valley Myers. He was introduced to these artists through a mutual friend and lover of his. Um, he became close with the group, and they experienced a lot with drugs. Is is what they say. So he's out in Paris, 1957, just <laughs> probably getting zooted, man. So at that time, you know, you got to wonder, like, what is he experimenting with? It was during this time in 1957 through 1958, that Zendik wrote his first full-length work, A Quest Among the Bewildered. This was a memoir of the people and places of this legendary era that he was living in, composed both in Hollywood and Paris. Quest was Zendik's personal manifesto of honesty and free thinking. It was filled with sadness, rage, beauty, and various other emotions. So finally, he meets Cheryl. They met in LA in 1961, connecting over shared beliefs that humanity was moving in the wrong direction. At the time of the meeting, Wolf had withdrawn his first full-length, out, uh, first full-length novel from publication consideration. It was titled Zendik, which I happened to find on this obscure website that was put through WordPress where they have like some of Wolf's work, some of his writing. And it is insane bro it is some insane, insane and like is he trying to be prophetic he's ironically prophetic on certain things i think certain aspects of culture and society where we have gone i think he is ironically prophetic <laughs> but it's all the other things that come along with that guy that sour the taste oh obviously. yeah oh yeah but nonetheless uh i read they have 10 chapters of this novel that never got published It's a 900 page novel called Zendik. Uh, What? 10 chapters allegedly on that website. So I read what is alleged 10 chapters of this novel and wow. And I think it is because like some of the other work that they have on there is like certified as like his stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like it is his novel um, depending on what was lost in the mode of transferring it to that electronically. Anyway, Zendick focused on a protagonist with an unwavering passion to become a successful artist. What's crazy about this story, man. And I tried to look into it and see if there was any truth to it. What happened in this novel is there's this kid and he's going to like this uh, art school in LA and his name is Wolf Zendik. Uh There you go. He's (laughs) a real shallow guy. Uh, So Wolf Zendik. And I feel like he's telling his story. Like he's obviously telling his story. So he develops a really close friendship with an art teacher who specifically took a liking to him because in the story Wolf has this like breakthrough moment where he begins to paint and like he starts to feel the colors and you know what I mean? Like he hears the, like, He's fascinated with the flow state. Yes. The flow state. He enters the flow state of, of being a painter. Um, And this art teacher who was a failed artist is fascinated with that and wants to help him. So she becomes like his mentor, right? And this all develops in 10 chapters, bro. And I just wonder how much of this is pulled from his real life. Right. And it's just crazy because what ends up happening is this teacher happens to be, A lesbian. Okay. And basically, there is something that goes down between her and a transfer student who's only 17. Of course. but bro, you got to think this guy's writing this in
0: 1957. When things like that just didn't get talked about. Right. It was taboo to even bring up those things, you know, and address them and like publicly speak about Much less display. Yes. So, and and we see this shit
1: all the time in modern day society where the teachers gets in trouble for sexual relations with a a student. So this happens and the teacher kills herself, (gasps) he goes, he goes over basically like the night before, like all this shit hits the fan the next day in the news. And like, she's all like, just like depressed. And she tells him like, I just need to go to bed now. Well, she ended up turning on that it, it said she turned on her like her gas or whatever, because back then it all would have been gas and then like closed the doorways and like opened like a vent or something like to where she like carbon monoxide herself. Which just pulls me right to midsummer. <laughs> and Ari Oster, uh no doubt, obviously. Oh, that's that that's horrific. the place my mind goes because of uh, prior viewings of midsummer. Horrific. Yeah, absolutely horrific.
0: So, how wild though? Due to the allegations, she just zips it shut, right? And she was a troubled person, obviously. Uh, but True. then the novel
1: basically cuts out at chapter ten. Right after that, he meets like this girl, and he starts fall in love. So, Errol, no, the way he's describing her, it doesn't sound like Errol, but because at the time that he's writing this, he hasn't really met Errol. 'Cause he met her in nineteen sixty one after he finally decided, like, I'm not trying to sell this anymore because it's not getting picked up. No one wanted to pick up the novel. So he chose not to sell it anymore to anyone. A wild story. I tried to look into this character, Alicia Brandt, to see if there was anything, any references of like something that maybe happened from as deep as I could go. I didn't see anything, but who knows? He still maybe had an art It's just an oddly was, powerful story. Oddly powerful story, especially the, the subject matter, as you, you said, for that time is just really out there. Uh, so I found that very fascinating. It was an interesting rabbit hole to fucking climb down because. No kidding. The writing isn't horrible. It's not a bad story. I feel like it almost had like a Hunter S. Thompson feel to it. That's a really strange energy though. Still. Yeah. Just like a, a really heightened. Yeah. I might be off base on that. Someone that really knows a lot about like literature and stuff like that, but that's just an initial thing that I kind of picked up on in a Zindeg blog. I found with writings from Errol, Errol states that when she met Wolf, she was an aspiring actress having just landed some lucrative roles that would send her to Europe with avant-garde filmmakers she, of course, abandoned that path to be with Wolf. What kind of filmmakers like Godard? I didn't get any names.
0: Or is that total just bullshit? I don't know. Avant-garde. So this is interesting, too. I don't want to draw two aside on this, but there's a movie called Breathless that came out during the French New Wave mm-hmm. form of cinema. And it kind of reminds me of the same surrealism that's happening with what's happening here, especially with that story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, I feel like that kind of goes down the same path there. So if it was somebody like the dark, we also watched a couple of scenes from the eight and a half movie by Federico Fellini. Right. And that came out in the same era too. Uncomfortable. 50s, extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. So like, that was like the, I feel like the wave of like surrealism back then. Yeah. It was very surreal. Hauntingly
1: surreal. Exactly. Honestly. Like that's the best way to describe it. So the community didn't become official until like 1969. That's when they made their, Escape from the commercially based society, as they would say, avoiding the pitfalls of consumerism and financial slavery was a common thing that they tended to throw around. It's, it's a lot in Wolf's writings, which I think ironically would resonate with a lot of people today. Yeah, because it's still the anti-establishment mindset. You know what I mean? Right. He called it the money mon- monarch. The eat the rich. Yeah. And it's not even necessarily like eat the rich. It's just like that's where society was going and has gone. It's completely and yeah. utterly consumed by finance, by money. And if you really look at it, a lot of evil comes from that. I'm not saying it's the source of evil, but I'm just saying a lot of evil comes with it. Yep. So like he wasn't off base about that. Like we know the, I mean, he was talking about, he was anti-war. He was talking about the, just the endless wars. He was of that camp uh, preaching preaching that which a lot of people re- I think would really resonate with that today especially after 9/11 and the whole situation in Iraq and Afghanistan the way we've handled that
0: like that would hit harder than ever nowadays it's scary to think about postmodern america <laughs> really <laughs> it sends you spiraling doesn't it after Every 2001
1: time. things just went down went downhill but what's interesting is they were still going at that time when that started happening. So I wonder like what the mentality was there and maybe Helen will be able to give us more of an insight into that because like then some actual sketchy shit, was going down. They were living through what they called the death culture, and what they called the death culture—that would have been a perfect example
0: of the death culture for them. I don't know, dude. It makes you just think everything we live is a lie, and you just want to run to the forest. And then it makes it- me want to like go go join a fucking community like Zendik, right? But then you but then you see that shit in the forest walking past you, and you're like, I don't want to join that either. I don't want to. Oh, be- you see Arrow
1: in the studio dropping one of those tracks, and you're like, What the fuck is? Does this going really have to be on? the? Uh, yeah. So the environment around this place from all the research that I was able to get into talked about how they fostered this wave of experimentation and music. And it actually inspired Wolf to the point of creating music again after like 20 years of not really doing it. Like he was completely engulfed in his writing. So there's various pieces of his writing that are very interesting. So he finally returns to making music. And this time, he actually improvised this new style of vocals and instrumentation, and he took to creating obscure instruments to do so. Famously, built the sitar, and it was an eight-string instrument combining the sounds of both the Eastern sitar and the Western guitar. And he recorded some unique albums, and they're really uncategorizable
0: by genre because so. you invent an instrument and then just write albums around that. Like, yeah there's a resounding
1: narrative from people who exist on the internet who existed there at one time who say that it was just all it was based around hierarchy. And they were just abusing control. I mean like it, it most people s were were like, yes, this is a cult. But it's just to the severity of what type of cult it was is what gets debated.
0: I know it feels weird that there's even like a scale for that kind of stuff because you should, it should be like a cult is a cult. Like as soon as you get one group of people around doing extreme ideas, living extreme lifestyles, gain comparison to what I guess we perceive as the norm to them. Like, it's just, I feel like it's unavoidable that it becomes authoritarian at times because humans are involved mm-hmm. because humans have ego ultimately. And that's mm-hmm. Oh, look at me getting philosophical here. Our, that's probably our biggest downfall is ego. And one of like, them. So like the people that are in charge, they want to be in charge and they want to increase the gap. You know what I mean? Between them and, and I'm starting to
1: think that maybe the, the ego isn't necessarily one of our biggest problems. I think it's one of our biggest challenges is what I've kind of started to like, think about I mean, true. Cause it can be a tool. Like you can conquer your ego and tame it and can, con- and control it. And you just like, you live a, good empathetic compassionate successful life yeah like and you have a healthy ego exactly like that that is a point that people can reach so but you can also be just a f- completely egotistical but those type of people still get successful as well i.e wolf zendik i mean this guy is obviously got some misogynistic and narcissistic tendencies mm-hmm. like when you look at the psychology of it you can't ignore that he's egotistical and that's how cult leaders are but it's like That's just a challenge. The ego is a challenge, not necessarily uh, an inherent issue. True. So. While he's making all these crazy instruments and just out there music, he kept writing, created volumes of poetry, and he also wrote this story about a fictional eco assassin, and it was called Black Hawk, The Last American Warrior. And then he also dropped this song called Don't Go. Of course, back then, they probably didn't call it So <laughs>
0: no,
1: I just dropped my new single, Wolf Zendik on Spotify. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> so he drops Don't Go. And this was actually like caught some buzz. Like this is one of his songs that actually caught some buzz because it was an anti-war anthem pretty much. This got international acclaim and it actually received praise from one of his like earliest influencers, who was Erica Maria remark. And she was an author of all quiet on the Western front. So he loved that novel and yeah. So, and that was a huge for him because he finally was getting respect by people that he loved feeding that ego, feeding that ego negatively, mind you not positively because look at what he was doing in his personal life during these early years of Zendik he was also developing this theory of the death culture and that's what reigns supreme through Zendik ideology Uh, these philosophies were shared within the community and members allegedly studied them frequently like that was something that you had to do Um, I think Helen mentioned that like they were even doing it still at the time that she was there and wolf was gone wolf was dead it's like uh, reading
0: literature from a book. Like literature from him. Like his poems and his writing. It makes total sense what that is. these people are rooted from actors. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah,
1: because they're putting on a show. They're exactly. 100% putting on a show. There, there is somewhat of a facade happening here when they do this. They're in character. They're in character. Like you giving watch, that speech like that? Seriously? And you see videos of him talking. You're know, like, he's in character. Errol, especially, I think Errol seems less genuine to me personally than Wolf ever did. I think Wolf was just, I think Wolf was genuine, but I think he was delusional.
0: Yeah. But what do you think about Errol's control? Do you think that she was more in control, or was it him? So
1: someone put it like this on Reddit, and I, it stuck with me. Someone that uh, allegedly had gone to Zendek was like, the chain of command was God, to Wolf wolf to arrow so god was giving messages to wolf and wolf was transferring those messages to arrow and arrow was a phenomenal communicator etc so like how true is like that did they believe that like was that really what they were kind of putting out it's just fascinating that at. But it
0: goes right along with the people from heaven's gate. Exactly. They thought
1: they were the reincarnation of saints, right?
0: Yeah. They thought they were Enoch and Elijah. Right. They thought they were the two from the end of the Bible that go to heaven without dying. They thought they were the two. And the way for them to get to heaven without dying was to jump on the spaceship. And they waited for the spaceship for years until they were finally like. And you could say this Zendik survival
1: station, as they would call it, it's just their fucking spaceship. Right here in home. And so they were like all over the fucking country too, bro. West Virginia,
0: Florida, Carolinas, Texas, everywhere. Like they moved a lot. Mm -hmm. They were nomadic. Same Mm -hmm. thing with Heaven's Gate. They were always on the move. Because you know what they were afraid of? The FBI. Perfect that you fucking say (laughs) that, buddy. Perfect that you fucking say that. Because you know what?
1: There is this... Form that I found where this former Zendik, as they would call themselves, posted a whole story about her 13 years there. And then all these people commented on it. And this, I think, was like a common place for these things to be discussed. Like weird societal things. Yeah. So she's on there and she's talking about it and whatnot. And one of the comments as this discussion starts to develop between former members is that at one time allegedly an FBI agent visited the farm and he was tasked with what they were said was inspecting like organizations to see if they were cults and that was something that like the FBI did regularly which isn't out of logical possibility exactly we know that they're always investigating shit like that we know they have the CIA has agent provocateurs in various events that happened in society causing havoc. So the FBI is out there investigating. That one of them was like
0: in. Like one of them was in this, the FBI.
1: That opened the door for that when I read that comment though. Because then like someone else reaffirmed it on a second comment and then someone else said like, someone else didn't like completely confirm it, but they were like well, that doesn't seem unlikely for FBI. I don't remember that happening, but that doesn't seem unlikely for FBI. So yeah, I believe that. But it was like the way the initial comment was worded would kind of sounded maybe like they were fibbing a little bit. Okay. Uh, but yeah. when you It's a bold claim. When you got the story of Chaos and MK Ultra basically pushing Charles Manson out into society, you got to wonder how much that was going on in other aspects. I mean, that is reaching at its finest, but I'm just telling you man like who knows what happened in Paris when he was doing those drugs. Completely unconfirmed, but I feel like that Charles Manson situation just opens the fucking door for. Because you
0: really have to wonder how much of these were social programs, like how much of these were social programs that were thought of on a chalkboard, social experiments, social experiments, like, and I mean, the ultimate negation against that is that heaven's game. They all killed themselves. Do you know what happened inside of that house that day? No, I don't know. You know how. all those people but died, like, but you don't know how they died. I mean, it's proven by the toxicity reports on the bodies that they have. If those. you believe those toxicity reports, okay, okay. How fake just, is everything? How fake- I mean, I'm just saying, man.
1: Like you got to wonder. Begs the question, I think.
0: So we can we can integrate the idea that the FBI has a weird weird hand. It's just not it's not hard to imagine that an FBI agent in Plain clothes in a marked car showed up to this place. It was just like, "Hey guys, I'm not here to tell on you. I'm just saying hello." You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be a Twin Peaks episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? I so, feel like, it probably was though. It probably what felt type like of experience it? was that for that FBI agent. Exactly. He probably he probably was feeling if it, it that moment. If that happened, like he just shows up with one of those little notebooks, right? A cup of Starbucks coffee. Like these certain people named Rev, Gabe, Chaz, and Zoe.
1: I kept hearing those names on different comments and discussions. Like the same usernames? No, that like, those were like people oh, were there. Like oh. one person like almost listed like all of them and was like, these are all people that were there for a really long time and then left because they realized what it truly was and this, that, and the other. In fact, on one of the albums released by Miss Errol Zendick on YouTube, you can find it. And it says band is literally those exact names, which is just obviously means they were some, they were part of the hierarchy. You know what I mean? They were part of that system. And that was a common theme that I heard too, is like, if you weren't in the inner circle, you lived in like worse conditions. The living quarters were rougher. Like at one point they were basically, they just had like open, uh, indoor camping and like their horse barn because oh, yeah. they would always have yeah. a horse barn. And they said at one point it was just indoor camping. I think Helen said that at the time she was there, it was just indoor camping. So just, you know, there's just that system and it's something that I found most ironic about all of this is that a lot of the Zendik ideology focused on eco sustainability and saving the planet from like natural disasters. So they were, they were out to save the environment. But what was ironic is they weren't respected in that community. Cause they weren't actually doing anything to help that movement. They were just mad. For, they were just mad. And like their phrase was stop bitching, start a revolution. That was the phrase they always used: Stop bitching, start a revolution. How much of a revolution was it when you ultimately failed? You really didn't save the world from anything. The death culture still raged John, Your goal was to save the world, literally. That was your proclaimed goal. But then in reality, you were just sheltering a specific group of people and controlling them. Yeah, it's just weird because like you preach all this environment-friendly jargon and then you aren't doing really anything, especially not financially. Like you weren't donating to environmental funds and
0: stuff like so they like I mean Wolf wanted to do these things because I mean from what I've heard listening to a little bit of Helen on a podcast before she sounds like a genuine person that wants to be self-sustaining and live off the land, you know, and just seems like a down-to-earth person. But it's like if you're someone that wants to be a savior in that kind of lane and you actually attract people who want to do the same thing as strongly all you're doing is capturing their attention (laughs) to bring it back into your power. Right. That's what Jim Jones seemed to do too, because he drew all those people with him and we all know what happens. That's what the people in heaven's gate did too. They drove all those people along with them for decades and look what happened to them. Thankfully, it sounds like most of the people from Zendik farms are not dead. Yeah. die of natural causes. Yeah. Or they just, yeah, I'm
1: saying a lot of them are still alive. I mean, I just wonder how many people, through the years that this organization existed. I mean, they lasted through like the early two thousands. How many people came and went? Someone put it really well. They're like, what would define a community versus a cult is that a community usually see like a common tendencies. You usually see like old members because like they've stuck around. It's like a true community with a cult. You see a lot of turnover. So like the Zindex were perpetually young
0: because eventually I feel like they people take would
1: just leave in because they realized the bullshit you were just, Yeah. You kept, you they kept eventually convincing, do, preying on vulnerable young people. Right. Exactly. Young adults. That's not what they wanted. They
0: wanted young, attractive adults. I mean, like, of course, so that's like, of course what you want for your earthly woods culture. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like
1: that's how you just, which look like an impoverished town. When you got Shandy, when you got there, honestly, with the exception of like one nice house, it looks rough in the videos that I've seen. There was one real out there video where this dude just, I think it was in the nineties and he just pulled up on their farm. And I think it was random guy. I think it was while they were in Texas maybe, but he, yeah. And he was just like recording with an old camera walking around kind of doing like documentary style, like B roll. And then like, but the audio is just playing of what he was recording. He was interacting with members of the community. And at one point he's at the at the sink with this member, and she's just doing the dishes or whatever. As this dude whips up a fucking smoothie where he explains everything that's in it. And it's like a fucking smoothie I would make, which I just found funny, like
0: <laughs> <laughs> sunflower seeds and, uh, talking I mean, about it the same way too with the same energy. Yeah, which just is just like, funny. You know, like, no, it's 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 really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Which is I found funny uh, on a personal
1: <laughs> level, uh, but he's just like talking to her, and it's just it's just weird. Like it's unsettling interactions because you're just wondering like, what type of sexual abuse is going on behind, oh. and then just the weird environment of sex and their ideologies on sex and how that differs of my understanding and beliefs of sex. So that's all going on, but he's just having this casual conversation, and she's like, you know, what are you doing, filming and whatnot, and he's like. Cause they were open to visitors. So like, what are you doing? Oh. Like, yeah. Like they, cause if you wanted to join, you know what I mean? Like you could come and test it out, but she was like, what are you filming? And he's like, well, I don't know. I want to do something in film. I just bought this camera, like just graduated or something. And I'd like to do something in film. So I'm recording all of this. I well, that never went anywhere, but now it's on fucking YouTube. Flash forward 20, 30 years. How many views did it have? I can't remember on that one, but not that many. But it was like a 15-minute video. And you just saw what the community that was makes like all at that time. It was more
0: mysterious.
1: Right. Low, low view count YouTube videos. Yep. You could also find very low count YouTube videos, uh, clips from their music festivals. So they put on various music festivals to their time. It looked like they started to happen maybe later in its
0: life. Closer to like the late Imagine. 90s. Imagine. Electric Forest in 1984 and Errol Zendig is there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that that hit home as well when you start talking music festivals because you know that was just some out there shit. There's like clips from different like bands and stuff playing there. Uh, One video was someone recording their baby reacting to the first Black Sabbath song they ever performed live as or that they ever heard performed live as some band covered one of their songs Zendik music festival. And it's literally just like one of those canopies set up, but like a big one. And then like a really like low, low stage and just like maybe 30 people. Right. And you're like, well, who's there? Who the fuck is there? Who the fuck drove their happy ass to that thing? Another guy I found had multiple videos related to this index. And two of them were just, nothingness of him driving up to the music festival and he went one year and then another one and i have no idea who the fuck this guy is and another one was him like filming members in this city one day as they were like planting plants and like you know like how like in sidewalks and stuff they have like different plants and stuff like in little closed off areas like they were like doing that so obviously, like maybe that's like something they did on a common basis like plenty of plants. They're helping the environment, something like that. But he's like recording them. He's like, Yeah, you're on camera with so-and-so. Famous. And I think he was just fucking around, but like famous internet superstar. These are Zendix or whatever. And it's just like, was this guy just like a fanboy? And just like followed him around, like lived in the same area because there was multiple people who talked about like, yeah, no, when I lived in Texas, commonly I heard from when they lived in Texas, people were like, yeah, no, I remember the Zindex walking the streets and shit, selling their magazines and stuff. So but like was this guy just like fascinated with him? Was it really a member? Or was he a member? Like, I don't know. It was just weird. It was all the videos are just uncomfortable. It sounds uncomfortable. When you think about the rumors that surround it, you just wonder the ultimate question, like I stated in the monologue, like what was life truly like?
0: It sounds like some of these people were really just looking for a place to support their beliefs and maybe saw too much bullshit to where they were un, unentranced by the performances, mm-hmm. you know, so that that made them able to just. We well, yeah, the a high uh, turnover rate. That's what proves that, you know, like
1: people, uh, their bullshit radars went off real quick. Most people, but you had this core group that survived. So apparently their daughter, Fawn, her name was Fawn Zendek. Uh, They had her in 1976. Apparently she had a big influence over the community as she got older. And a lot of people didn't like the dynamic between Errol and Fawn. Like after Wolf was gone, like they were very controlling. Like they got like super, super power hungry, I guess, after Wolf died. So I can't wait for our guests to expand on that dynamic and what fawn was like the daughter of wolf you know what i mean like it's got to be an interesting person for your mom and dad to be errol and wolf growing up with that i mean my god what is that like i also found a blog that was like straight up supposedly a zendik blog where there's like these writings from errol and someone else who calls himself Piero Zendek. And I want to know who the fuck Piero Zendek is. So, like, a lot of them just called their... Like, they would take on, like, pseudonyms. And then they would yeah. just throw Zendek on there. Like, most people did that, uh, from what I heard. But this blog is, like, writings from Errol. And she had some really really strange stuff on there. Like
0: political things or just spiritual things?
1: Just spiritual things and just similar manically to Wolf's writings and writing style and stuff like that, but almost more developed in a way, like a little less word salad than Wolf. That's like a a common narcissistic uh, trait is using word salad where you just say a lot, but you don't really say anything at all. Yeah. Like Wolf is infamous for that. Just like a lot of American these cult psycho.
0: yeah. Just Yeah, I mean, that's just how these people are, as we've said. Well, she was definitely too far into it. Yeah. So, like, maybe she was just really, actually, that's the best way to describe it. She was just too far into it. I mean, if Wolf's gone at that point, she's got to think
1: she's the one getting the messages from God. Exactly. She was next like in that.
0: the hierarchy. Right. So, what is that doing to you as a person? That's just a scary thought. Is that if someone came to you and were like, "Listen, I'm getting messages from God mm-hmm. directly. I am a literal line of communication between God and and Earth." Yeah. So, in conclusion, here it's just interesting
1: to think about how many people came and went through Zendek Farms and you know experienced some form of mental or physical abuse due to Wolf's extreme views and ideologies surrounding, you know, society and sex. It's just haunting to consider what people could have went through there and you know what their lives would have been if they never would have went there and spent time on Zendik Farm. Some people say it's a positive experience. Others say it was a horrible experience. So it's just odd that you have both sides of that story. I guess we will never know, though.